My name is Peter Kroll. I am a graduate of Bucknell University, the class of 1999, the previous century. <laughs> yeah, you know, we had phones back then. We had to plug them into the wall. You couldn't carry them around with you. Uh, I've been serving Disciple Makers ever since. I'm currently serving as the president of Disciple Makers. It's my privilege to serve our staff team and to be of all campuses and of none, as I love uh, what the Lord is a part of, uh, being a part of what the Lord is doing. This morning in this workshop, I'd like to give you a simple plan for living in a complex world. That's where we're going. I imagine perhaps some of you have been Christians your whole lives. And maybe there are some of you who still aren't quite sure yet what you think of Christ and you're still considering or exploring. And a lot of you are somewhere in between there. Regardless of where you are, I'd like to give you a simple plan for living in a complex world because we face challenging questions all the time. Questions like, when should I start working ahead on my next paper? Or what is my best career option? Or how do I figure out when to take the next step with that special someone? Or what does it look like for me to honor or obey my parents now that I'm an adult? Or what role can I play in helping to address the world's injustice? We've got small questions, we've got big questions, we've got all kinds of questions, and none of these questions has a single universal answer for every person. To take one example, should I obey my parents now that I'm an adult? Well, the Bible certainly tells children to obey their parents, and it tells all people to honor their parents, but the scripture is also filled with stories of people and nations who obeyed their parents and paid the price for it because their parents led them to worship false gods or even to become indifferent toward the true God. So it's not that easy of an answer. The book of Proverbs in the Bible was handed to us for just such situations. Situations where a universal principle or law simply won't do. Situations where what we do depends on the circumstances. Situations where we can't act like computer programs, but we must learn how to think how to walk in relationship with our creator, how to apply God's words in the best way to the current situation. Situations where different people at different times and in different places might have to make different choices in order to honor the same God. So I hope to show you this morning from the book of Proverbs that wisdom is a journey in the right direction. That's the main idea this morning. That's the simple plan for life in a complex world. Wisdom is a journey in the right direction. And that journey is impossible 
apart from the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who came to earth and died a fool's death so that we who are fools could embrace the wisdom of God. And so I'll begin with a simple question you can see in your outline. What is wisdom? What is this thing we are looking for when we say we want or we need wisdom for some decision or other? We'll get a definition of that in Proverbs chapter 1, and then we'll go on to see wisdom illustrated for us to see what it looks like in Proverbs chapter 30. So let me pray for our time together in God's word. Our Father, you have revealed yourself as the God of wisdom, the one who has stored up wisdom, who is waiting to just dole it out if only people would ask for it. And so we ask you this morning that you would please give us wisdom. Help us to seek your face, to understand you, to see your son revealed in the pages of your word and strengthen us to be able to navigate the many complex issues we face in our lives and in the world. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So first we're going to tackle what is wisdom. And there are two main things you need to know about wisdom. Wisdom is a journey, and that journey must go in the right direction. Okay, that's it. That's all there is to it. Let me show you from God's word. First, wisdom is a journey. The first six verses of Proverbs show us that that's the main thing that wisdom is. It's a journey. As I read these verses, you can see them on page 50 of your packet. I want you to pay attention as I read. There are five infinitive verbs, five statements that begin with the word to. Okay, look for that. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Okay, let me briefly walk through these five, two statements. First in verse two, it says that the Proverbs of Solomon, these were written to know wisdom and instruction. So Solomon, this king of Israel, he says that this book of Proverbs will teach you wisdom and instruction. This book is to know it. So this book will help you get the right ideas, wise ideas, instructive ideas. Easy enough. That's the first one. Second, the end of verse two, this book is to understand words of insight. What we see there is that not only will this book give you wise ideas, but it will also help you to understand wise words, to understand words of insight. And you're like, well, isn't that the same thing? Well, the difference between that first thing and the second thing is the difference between having a clear thought and putting that thought into clear words. 
Statement number one means that, for example, you know it's a bad idea to trust in yourself. Statement number two means you can point out when a movie or a TV commercial is trying to get you to trust in yourself. Okay? You can recognize it when you see it. How often can we get the answers right on a test, but we fail to execute those answers in real life? Okay, on Sunday morning, I sing that Jesus is my only Savior, but by Sunday night, I'm already so stressed out that the only thing I trust in to save me is a large bowl of death by chocolate ice cream. Right? The third statement in verse 3 it says that Proverbs will give you instruction. This is to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. What he's saying is that this book will help you to live a life that pleases your creator God and his son, Jesus Christ. And this will be a life that takes good care of other people. Because you have this wise dealing, and you will have righteousness, means you're right with God. You will have justice and equity, which means you're good with other people. You're fair and reasonable. You refuse to play favorites or to conceal the truth. So right here already in verses two and three, we see some amazing things. We see that wisdom is all about right thinking and we see that wisdom leads us to recognize when others have right thinking. And then verse 3 tells us we can get on with right living. This progression really matters. We need right thinking so we can recognize it and then we can live it out. Because how many students on your campus would acknowledge that there is a vital connection between what they say or discuss in the classroom and what they do on Saturday nights? How many believe that things like integrity and responsibility apply just as much to their social lives as they do to their academic lives? See, in our culture, the college years are portrayed as a time for doing whatever you want to do, whatever makes you feel good. It's a time for experimenting. It's a time for trying out all sorts of things and all sorts of people and all sorts of ideas to see what resonates the most, what, which things will stick. And these four years might train you to think straight, at least when it comes to your career, but how you live is really up to you. Nobody really cares how you live your life. Many would say that your personal choices don't impact your ability to succeed in your studies or in your athletics. So drink up, have fun, meet lots of people, explore a range of sexual behaviors. You do you. But you see, the Bible says that what you think matters and what you do matters. You cannot separate the two. Wisdom will instruct you both in how to think and how to live. And these things matter not only when you're 40, in your 40s, 
but especially when you're in your 20s, forming habits and shaping your identity as an adult. So you need to get started with your right thinking and your right living in order to get where Solomon goes next. So you've got those first few statements about wisdom, but I think the fourth one is what really shakes things up for all sorts of people. What is the book of Proverbs 4? In verse 4, it is to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Okay, look at what he says. This book will give prudence to the simple. Now, the simple is the ancient Hebrew way of calling someone inexperienced or a novice in life. Okay, that's all it means. And Solomon says, to those of you who are as of yet inexperienced in life, that you can learn prudence from this book. Prudence is another word for wisdom. And to those of you who are young, he says, and that refers not just to teenagers, but also to young adults, he says, you can get knowledge and discretion from this book. You see, he's speaking directly to most of the people in this room, right in this verse. But it gets even better in verse 5, where he adds this parenthetical addition, let the wise hear and increase in learning and the one who understands obtain guidance. You see, he's talking to the wise as well. This verse is just as much for your professors and for your campus staff workers as it is for any of the students. This verse, verse 5, is just as much for the president of disciple makers as for anybody else. Do you think you are wise? Have you found wisdom? Well, if so, verse 5 says, make sure you listen to this book and increase in learning. Do you have some understanding? Are you mature enough to make your own life decisions? You know, like what car to drive or what TV show to watch, which sport to play, what to major in, which company to work for. You're mature enough to make decisions like this. So make sure you let this book of Proverbs give you guidance. You see, here's what he's saying in verses 4 and 5. Solomon comes along and he says, you know what? I really don't care how old you are. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how successful you've been in business or how much experience you make or how much money you have. I don't care how many people you are responsible to lead. I don't care how much education you've received or how many hours you've spent studying or how many classes you've taught. And you know what? I think he's also saying, I don't care how many pages of the Bible you've read before or how many sermons you've heard or preached or how many weeks you've been to church or how many verses you've memorized. I don't care about any of those things. And when all is said and done, God doesn't care about those things either. What he cares about is not where you are or what you've done. The only thing he cares about is where you are going. 
Is this book of Proverbs going to give you anything? Will you receive what it has to say? Are you growing in wisdom? Are you learning greater prudence? Are you listening and increasing in learning? Are you looking to obtain guidance? Are you moving any closer to your creator? Or are you just standing still with respect to him? You see, on the scale of godly maturity, more matures over here, less matures over here. Wisdom is not a location on the spectrum. Wisdom is a direction. It's a vector. It's not something you have. It's something you are seeking. It's not something you've got. It's something you are getting. It's not something you are being. It's something you are becoming. In short, wisdom is a journey. So I have both a comfort and a challenge for you this morning in light of this. First, I imagine there are many of you here who need comfort from this. Because what this means is that it doesn't matter where you are right now as a Christian. Maybe you're not even a Christian yet. It does not matter if you feel young, weak, foolish, immature, or even like you've wasted your life up until now. None of that matters. The only thing that matters is that you get going. Take a step one at a time. If you move one step this weekend in your walk with God, you will be wiser than the person who has been standing still in their walk with God for 50 years. Even if that person has been to seminary, gets called reverend or doctor and preaches multiple times a week. This is your comfort and your campus staff wish to offer you much comfort and encouragement as you get going in your walk with your God. But there might be others of you in here who need a challenge from this. Maybe you've claimed to be a Christian most of your life, but you still haven't actually gone anywhere. Maybe you're the same person now that you were two or three or five years ago. You go to church because you have to, but your heart's not in it. You might even think you're a fine young man or a nice young lady and you've got a lot going for you, not like some of those other people. You're making far better decisions than all the people who don't go to church at all. And you may need to hear this morning that you are not wise. You are a fool. With respect to Jesus, you have been standing still for far too long. And it's time to get moving if you really want to experience eternal life with your king. Both of those groups, those who need comfort from this and those who need to be challenged by it, you need to know one more thing about this journey we call wisdom. Look at the final two statement in verse six. 
Solomon wants to, you to get moving. So what sort of help can you, under, can you expect in your journey? He says that this book is to understand a proverb and a saying the words of the wise and their riddles. Now, this whole thing has been one sentence from verse one all the way down. Cut out the middle part. Put this part of the sentence together between verses one and six, and you get this work of genius. You see it? The Proverbs of Solomon are to understand a proverb. Wow. <laughs> it's like, okay, so what do I do with that? Well, think about what he's saying. The point of Proverbs is for the wisdom found within this book to drive you right back into this book. You see, you will find the wisdom of God only as you stick your nose into this book of Proverbs. I had a professor who put it well once. He said, the, the, the better you understand Proverbs, the more you understand Proverbs, the more Proverbs you'll understand. It just keeps reinforcing itself. As you stick your nose into this book of Proverbs, I think we're justified in broadening that a bit more. You will find God and his wisdom only as you stick your nose into this larger book we call the Bible. This is why we've spent so much time in it this weekend, in main sessions and in breakouts, in smaller groups, in impromptu conversations. We spend time discussing and understanding and explaining the Bible because wisdom must come from outside of ourselves and it is to be found right in these pages. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to get you one. And if you don't have a nicer Bible and you would like one, let me know. You can have this. It's an extra one that I brought with me. First one to ask for it can have it after we're done. We've got some extra paperbacks in the main room. Hopefully you've seen that. Because if you want to be wise, you're going to need this. So the main idea of verses 1 to 6 is simply to show us that wisdom is a journey. On this journey, you'll learn right thinking and proper labeling and right living. If you pay attention, you'll make progress and not stand still. And you'll do all that by keeping your nose in God's book. That's my first point this morning, that wisdom is a journey. But let me complete the definition of wisdom briefly with this, because wisdom's not just any journey. It's letter B. It's a journey in the right direction. Look with me at verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. See, the book of Proverbs, as you read it, it has a lot to say about wise people, and it has a lot to say about fools. And right from the beginning of the book here in verse 7, you need to know one thing about fools especially, and it's that they despise wisdom and instruction. Now, why would anybody ever despise wisdom and instruction? I mean, what is there not to like about growing and learning? Well, I, I think some people despise wisdom and instruction because they think they don't need it. 
usually because they're doing just fine on their own. They've got everything all figured out for themselves. They've got reputations to keep after all. You, you got to play it cool. You can't look too much like a spiritual dork, right? Because they're going to make it through life on their own without help from anyone else, especially the Lord God. But the contrast to such fools in the first part of verse 7 is the beginning of knowledge. Okay, let's say you're ready to give up your folly, give up your self-love and your self-interest. Let's say you're ready to embark on the journey of wisdom. You're ready to get moving in a direction. Which direction should you take? According to verse 7, the first step is to fear the Lord. This means that you set your eyes on your creator. You fix your gaze on the one who made you and who sent his son to die for you and you make a beeline for him as though your life depended on it. Because guess what? It does. It really does. When you start learning about wisdom, you realize that you have nothing inside yourself to offer to God. Friends, look within or be true to yourself could be just about the worst possible advice you could ever listen to. That is the way of the fool who despises wisdom and instruction from God. The fool who wants only to follow his or her heart and to fulfill his or her own dreams. But the wise person knows that the Lord has dreams for her or for him that she could never dream for herself. That he could never dream for himself. The Lord has life joy and peace and he's just waiting to dole it out to his children and the rest of the book of proverbs explains in great detail what this means this life he has to offer the quality of life so now if someone were to stop you in the hallway after this workshop and ask what is wisdom i hope you're armed and ready there is a very simple plan for life in a complex world what is wisdom it's a journey in the right direction. Are you ready to begin this journey? Let me illustrate what it looks like by showing you a few small critters that God made, especially so we could learn wisdom from them. So what does wisdom look like? We're going to near the end of the book, chapter 30. Since wisdom is a journey, it's really important to know what we're moving toward. That's the Lord. But we also really need to know what we're moving away from. So this next passage we're going to look at near the end of Proverbs will clarify for us what we must leave behind in order to move toward the Lord. Okay, here we go. Proverbs 30, 24 through 28. Four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. The rock badgers are a people not mighty, yet they make their homes in the cliffs. The locusts have no king, 
yet all of them march in rank. The lizard you can take in your hands, yet it is in king's palaces. So verse 24 gives us the main idea of this poem. There are a bunch of things on earth here. They are small, but extremely wise. Okay, we should want to pay attention. Exceedingly wise. So if we look at these critters God has made, we can learn an important lesson about wisdom. As one of my teachers once put it in The Empire Strikes Back, size matters not. Look at me. Judge me by my size, do you? Hmm? Hmm? And well, you should not. Thank you, Yoda. Let's look at these four small creatures. Don't judge them by their size. Okay, for each one of them, there's a not and a yet. It says this creature is not something, yet something else. So we'll see that each one could have lots of excuses for not doing what God wants them to do. They all have limitations and things working against them. But for each one, we want to observe what are they not and what are they yet. First, the ants. Do you see it? They are not what? Strong. They are not strong. Look at an ant. It's small. It's weak. They are not the toughest kids in town. They're just a bunch of little pipsqueaks in the scope of the animal creation. Yet, they store up their food in summer. They, they can't do all the work at once, but they know the right time to work. They don't wait until the night before the exam to pull an all-nighter and cram. They don't put off their work now so that they can play more video games. They don't get distracted from what God wants them to do. They work in the season of work so that they're prepared for the season of want. Well, how does this apply? I have a rule in my home with my family, my kids could tell you, we work hard and then we play hard. Okay? It's always more satisfying to play hard after we've worked hard. So we get the chores done and then we have some screen time. We mow the grass and then we watch a movie. We finish our schoolwork and then we go to the pool. And we do so guilt-free and we get the most out of our play. You see, wisdom doesn't wait or procrastinate. It doesn't work all the time, but it works at the right time. Wisdom takes those first steps toward the Lord. One step and then another and then another. Okay, so those are the ants. Let's talk about the rock badgers. Verse 26, the rock badger is also called a hyrax. These creatures, just so you know, they live all over sub-Saharan Africa and the Middle East. They actually look like giant rats. They're about one to two feet in length, okay? They have thick brown fur, long black whiskers, two long incisors that they look like fangs, but they're actually more like tusks. Even though they, they look like rats and all this, they're actually more closely related to elephants than they are to rats. 
neat little creatures, but what's the point of verse 26? These rock badgers are not, you see it? They're not mighty. They're not mighty. A rock badger would never in a million years win a fight against the cousin elephant or against a lion. In fact, they're herbivores. They, they, they just eat plants. They, they don't set up mixed martial arts tournaments. They don't fight with one another in order to win their mates like some animals. In fact, they, they woo their mates by singing. It's pretty cool. <laughs> they're not mighty. Yet, yet, what do they do? They make their homes in the cliffs. See, most of us ignore rock badgers and don't know anything about them because we don't see them. But they're of great interest to leopards, pythons, eagles, hyenas, and jackals. They're, they're predators. But by living in the cliffs, rock badgers can keep themselves out of danger. The land creatures can't make their way up and the eagles can't get down into their holes. You see, they, they can't protect themselves but they know where to find the best protection. Well, how does that apply? What does this teach us about wisdom? You see, you don't have to be mighty. Some people come to believe that to be wise, they must make a name for themselves and survive on their own. And like Clint was telling us last night, they don't ever have the courage to ask for help. That was last night, right? Yeah, my time's all mixed up. <laughs> Such folks will refuse assistance when it's offered. Their greatest fear is to ever show weakness or emotion. And so they live at a distance from everyone around them. You see, ants teach us an important lesson about working hard and at the right time. But let's not ever think that means the Bible teaches you to be self-made, invulnerable, tough guys or girls. That is folly, not wisdom. Wisdom means looking for help elsewhere and receiving it gladly. Wisdom means not trusting in yourself, but wisdom means finding another rock to hide in. You can learn wisdom from the rock badgers. Let's talk about the locusts. Verse 27. The locusts have no king. That means they don't have elections, they don't have a throne, there's no hereditary nobility, there's actually no military structure among locusts with generals, colonels, or captains. What he's saying is there's nobody in charge keeping them in line, yet all of them march in rank. Did you know a swarm of locusts is one of the most devastating forces on the planet. You can hear them coming from up to six miles away. Each locust can eat up to its full body weight each day. That's ah, no big deal, right? They're just little things. But a swarm can contain 40 billion locusts and cover 40 square miles, devouring 80,000 tons of food per day. 
They wipe out all vegetation in their path. They devour linen, wool, and silk. If the swarm gets into people's homes, they'll even eat the varnish off the furniture. The effect of all this is to cause regional famine. That's the effect of a locust plague. There is no way to stop it once it has taken off. The only way to prevent a swarm of locusts, the only way at all is to pray for natural disaster because only a drought can prevent the locusts from breeding and swarming. But then you have to ask yourself, is a famine with locusts really any worse than a drought without them? <laughs> See, in, in the, the books of the prophets of the Old Testament, God uses the locust swarm as a metaphor for complete and utter devastation. So locusts have this in their favor. They get the job done. And they do it by all working together. Just watch planet earth. If you haven't seen it, it has a scene of a locust swarm and you can see how effective and how horrifying it is. How does this apply? What does this teach us about wisdom? Well, some people think wisdom means being the smartest or the toughest person in the world. It means you set your own pace. You accomplish great things and you make a name for yourself. You know, sometimes we like to battle our wits and to try to outdo one another. We think wisdom means making the snappiest remark or the funniest joke or the harshest put down and to be declared king of the mountain. But that's not wisdom at all. If you act that way, you're going against how God made the world to work. And therefore, his world will work against you. You will feel good really good about yourself, but you're going to lose friends. You may accomplish great things, but not nearly so great as if you had played nicer with others. It has long since been proven that communities and teams of people can accomplish far more as a group than the sum total of what each individual could have produced. And those who want to be wise will learn this and will spend more time listening to people than talking at them. Real unity is hard work, but it is absolutely worth it. And it requires us to look outside of ourselves. This is wisdom. The fourth creature we see is the lizard in verse 28. The text doesn't actually give us a knot for the wizard. He changes the formula, I think, to just signal the end of the poem and to get our attention. He, he, I think he wants us to think about what the knot should be. He says something positive. The lizard you can take in your hands. What's he saying? You can take a lizard in your hands. Okay, there it is. I think he's saying, what? It's small. It's not, what? not hard to capture. It's not very fast. It's not very ferocious. It's not poisonous. It's not dangerous. It's not large. In essence, what I think he's saying is the lizard is not very much at all. 
It's not like a falcon or a leopard or a Komodo dragon. When I was in Africa to adopt my sons, I went on a safari and saw elephants, warthogs, hippopotamuses, and lions in person. It was the coolest thing. No walls between them and me. My sons, I want to take them back to visit Africa. One day, their one condition is we will not go on a safari. I only want to see animals with walls. <laughs> but I saw these animals, and I was totally impressed. You know what? If I saw a lizard, not impressed. They're pretty irrelevant to me, and I can afford to be indifferent toward them. And yet... And yet, what does he say? They're in king's palaces. You see, I'm not very impressed by a lizard, but I've also never met anyone who lived in a palace. Have you? This critter that is small and utterly unimpressive is able to live in luxury. What are we to make of this? Well, I, I'd like to make some application from this last point, but it's hard to do because this text is not praising what the lizard does such that I can advise you to go and do the same like I did for the ant and the rock badger and the locust. This text is not praising what the lizard does. That is not where we find wisdom in this case. The text praises who the lizard is where the lizard lives. And I think that is exactly what we're supposed to learn about wisdom. Because remember, the main idea of this little poem in verse 24, these things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. The poem is all about the small things on earth. Those things that are not the strong or the mighty, things that don't always have someone telling them what to do, things that are unimpressive or underestimated. And so as I speak now to a group of college students with a few campus missionaries sprinkled in, some of you might be tempted to think that you are not much. You are not very impressive. After all, you're not a professor at your university. You're not a hotel manager or a business guru. I presume you don't hold public office yet or get to make weighty decisions on behalf of millions. You're just a student. And maybe you're even just learning this weekend for the first time how to even be a Christian. What can you do to change the world with the wisdom of God? And I want you to please get this. Friends, look at the lizard. He is small and unimpressive, but he lives in king's palaces. Though you may be small or young or inexperienced in life, maybe you don't yet have a career or a mortgage or a retirement plan, you too can be incredibly, exceedingly wise if only you would dwell in a king's palace. I want you to know that the God who created you is the ruler of all things. Because he made you, he owns you. And you and I constantly run away from him. 
We turn inward to follow what's in our own hearts instead of caring to follow what's in God's heart. And we do this in part because the, the very first humans to be created made this choice. A man named Adam and his wife named woman. They decided they didn't want to serve their divine king. They wanted to be their own kings and to rule their own lives. So they cast off their God and sin entered the world. But God was not willing to allow this state of affairs to continue for very long. He eventually became a man himself, a man named Jesus, and he walked in wisdom and did everything right. And then he died like an average fool so that we who are fools could become wise. But three days later, he rose from the dead to prove that he was, in fact, king of the world, the Lord of heaven and earth. And if you will but trust him, and if you will begin this journey of wisdom in the right direction toward him, you too can be like a lizard. Wouldn't that be a great aspiration? You can live in your king's palace. Except you won't take residence there like a vermin who doesn't belong. You'll live there because you'll become one of that king's own children and heirs. So please learn wisdom from the ant and work hard before you play hard. Learn wisdom from the rock badger and stop trusting in yourself. Find for yourself the protection that can come only from outside yourself. Learn wisdom from the locust and give up your preferences for other people to work together. And please learn wisdom from the lizard. Though you may be unimpressive when compared to the most important people in the world, living life with King Jesus is far more valuable than living a life of visible earthly power. All four creatures are small yet exceedingly wise. And what makes them wise is that they are on a journey in the right direction. That direction is always away from myself and toward the Lord Jesus Christ. If you get your life moving toward him, there's no telling what might happen. So what would it look like for you to get your life moving toward Jesus this week? Please don't wait another moment. Talk to someone this morning or this afternoon for help. Maybe you can read a little bit of your Bible. Maybe you can decide to stop comparing yourself to everyone else. Maybe you can set aside your sexual immorality or your private addictions or your compulsive self-love. Maybe you can decide to stop listening to yourself and following your own heart. Maybe you can decide for the first time to follow Jesus. Maybe you can decide for the thousandth time to follow Jesus. Wisdom will look a little different for every one of us. All that matters is that we not keep doing the same thing, standing still. We need to take just a step in the fear of the Lord, to know him better. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, please grant us the courage and the hope to step forward 
and to move toward you today, tomorrow, and the next day. May we not stop moving. May we not be persuaded by the deceptions of the world telling us to listen to ourselves and be true to ourselves. May we listen to you and be true to you. And only as we do that, may we finally find ourselves and what you made us for. Help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.